back. Uh, Graham Smith and I are going to go through some words from a very interesting volume, which I've had sitting on the shelf for many years. And Graham, what are you reading from? Uh, Loose Cannons and Red Herrings by Robert Claiborne. Okay. Funny guy. Uh, and let's, let's talk about some word origins. Let's, let's want, I know one that will be near to, your, dear to your heart would be uh, zero sum. Can we tell people what the origin of that is? Well, I've got a term here from game theory, which is uh, zero sum, and it refers to it refers to any situation where when one party wins, the other party has to lose an equivalent amount. So if you sum up the the gains between everyone involved, it's going to come to zero. Right. So if I win, you lose, as opposed to a non-zero sum game where I can win and, and you can win too. This sort of makes me wonder, Graham, that they're giving Nobel prizes out for this stuff. <laughs> Well, I, I think I think it can get a uh, it can get a little more uh, complicated than this, and a lot of it's pretty counterintuitive. I mean, um, if if anyone listening has seen a beautiful mind, they may be at least passingly familiar with um, John Nash yeah. and uh, and the Nash equilibrium, which refers to a situation in which when when different people are playing a game, once you know the other person's move, you do not regret your own, and that and that's a situation that a lot of people find themselves in because of the nature of it, it it often leads to everybody picking an option that's that's worse for everyone involved the classic is the prisoner's dilemma well i i do know that a generation ago uh, you didn't well you didn't hear the saying you didn't hear the phrases zero sum and non-zero sum games so i think it's interesting that that this did sort of influence how people think about uh how people interact in a way they hadn't before yeah, well, the, the whole field of behavioral economics has sort of sprung up around the idea that we can quantify how people behave, which is something that was previously believed to be beyond the reach of, uh, of, of the mathematical sciences. There were just too many factors involved to really be able to predict what people would do in any given situation. Well, let, let's do some other, other zestier words, starting with the word zest, <laughs> which I didn't realize... Uh, Apparently, it refers to the flavoring related to, like, uh, citrus peel. I had no idea. Neither did I. <laughs> well, there you go. So, I, I, didn't, I just thought it meant, you know, uh, it means more flavorful, but it originally meant a specific kind of flavor. And, and I, I, you know, I guess that's, it is sort of funny how things evolve. Uh, and this book will probably give us some examples of how it started out going one way and it, it zigged and wound up zagging. And one, uh, one I want you to look up while, while, while I'm blabbing here is... Uh, the word Gunsel, because I know when I first saw this book, we, we did a few excerpts from it, I think about 10 years ago. And I'm really intrigued by the story about this word, because apparently Dashiell Hammett was familiar with hobo culture uh, back in, I guess, the 20s and 30s. And this word among that set, subset of, of, of people meant a younger male who was tagging around with an older male for sexual purposes. Now, if you've seen the movie The Maltese Falcon, and probably most listeners have, there's a moment where Bogart yells at uh, at uh, at Sydney Greenstreet to like get that gunsel away from me, and everybody thought that uh, well the censors thought they meant gunmen, but 
but actually he was slipping one past him. The, uh, the best kinds of insults are the ones that uh, nobody catches. Well, even gunmen watching the movie thought it meant gunmen, and then they started using it to refer to themselves because of the movie. Which is fascinating how, you know, it starts out as kind of a practical joke almost and winds up getting picked up and turned into something else. But I think the English language is constantly doing that. All right. You've got the book, uh, Graham. What about, what about this, uh, this phrase we've heard, fifth column? You don't hear it so much anymore, but it was quite uh, the rage back during the McCarthy era. And I guess this goes back to the Spanish Civil War. Yeah, in 1936, when the fascist and mercenary troops of General Franco were advancing on Madrid in four columns, one of his generals boasted that there was also a fifth column inside the city, sympathizers who would rise up when the fascists approach. And this is kind of uh, spread spread to become a a general term to refer to... um, Basically, enemy agents uh, working, working among us, yeah. But I think the term uh, has has fallen out of favor as the uh, as the us versus them mentality um, that a lot of countries have, at least in the West, uh, has gotten more black and white. I guess. Well, you don't hear it so much anymore. But uh, I, I have a I have a sad feeling that it may have a revival one of these days. Maybe maybe come election year we may hear more about them. I don't know. All right, here's one I want you I want you to take a look at, uh, Graham. That uh, you've heard this phrase, you know, getting the straight poop. And I've always thought, well, what the hell does that mean, the straight poop? And it, it is not a scatological reference, it turns out, uh, but rather a nautical one. So inform us as to what, what the deal is with that. Well, uh, apparently, um, naval commanders used to command their ships from the poop deck and not the, and not the brid in the middle of the ship. And uh, therefore, information from the poop was considered official and supposedly definitive. Wow. Well, we were certainly giving people the straight poop on that one. <laughs> I've got one. Why don't you uh, tell us about filibuster? Ooh, good choice. <laughs> and Graham, this is an all. This is a especially good choice because uh, it turns out, oddly enough, that when your dad and I were hanging out in Nicaragua some years back, we saw a diorama, uh, a story of of William Walker, who's who's a name that people may not have heard, but we need to educate people about Walker. He. Uh, basically took over Nicaragua. I think he's the only American in history to become the chief of state of another nation. And he, yes, and he was leading a group called filibusterers. And so, yes, this, this is a great one. Apparently, according to, um, to Mr. Robert uh, Claiborne, the word started out with the Dutch rebuiter, which, which was in English was freebooter, uh, which is, you know, a pirate, basically, or an official pirate. Uh, the word, I guess, passed into French and into Spanish, where it was sort of modified into filibustero. And in the 1850s, the Spanish put that term on Walker and his bunch of uh, you know, mercenaries that were trying to take over in Nicaragua. And, uh, well, apparently the story on Walker is, for a while, he, is, he was backed by uh, the railroad magnate Cornelius Vanderbilt. I know in the 1850s, you know, he was he was marauding around in Costa Rica, across the border in, in Nicaragua, and, uh, you know, he, he and his filibusteros became the ruling party for a brief period of time. Uh, I think that, uh, I forget the story of how he met his end, but I think an armed force came in, um, uh, removed him, and they were trying to negotiate, I think, to, uh, to put him on a ship and send him home, and instead they shot him. 
Well, well, what struck us in, in this whole story about filibusteros is obviously it's related to the word filibuster. And in the United States Senate, I always think of like, you know, Jimmy Stewart and, and other people you know, giving a long harangue to stop legislation from being passed by just blabbing, you know, in, into the into the microphone. And, and apparently when it got readapted into, into American English, filibuster meant to conduct a similar freebooting type operation against a legislative majority using obstructive tactics and interminable oration and whatever it was to just derail the whole thing. So it was guys that weren't playing fair, but the whole word does, uh, it, it does, it does tie together. Po- political piracy. Political piracy. There's another word that originally had a really good connotation that kind of changed by the time uh, I was in my formative years, and that would be gung-ho. Can you tell, can you tell that story? Yeah, it, it originally came, uh, it was originally a Chinese word, and back during World War II, it meant somebody who was, you know, really, uh, really patriotic, really ready to, to take on the enemy. You know, it had very positive connotations, as you said, and, and, sort of to, uh, and sort of to mirror the general opinion of the American military, when Vietnam rolled around, it, it took on a a far different tone of somebody who had those same uh, had those same qualities uh, those same martial qualities but that they were uh, tainted by I guess uh, naivete or ignorance well maybe overzealousness I, I know yeah. the term fragging entered the American lexicon about that time when maybe guys who were I guess gung ho would be wanting to lead men to some military mission that the guys might take a real dim view of and they think this guy's going to get us killed and then yeah. you know he did toss a grenade at him instead. I know I know it happened. Uh, and it's sort of moved back to the original positive connotations, right? Well, I, I would say so. When, whenever you hear anybody saying you know he's really gung ho, you don't have this sort of morbid idea that he's going to get us uh, into trouble. Although to be honest, in my own personal life, when I met people in in organizations that were gung ho, I think I still retained myself the <laughs> the Vietnam viewpoint of it, perhaps correctly, <laughs> but. But yes, I agree. Now when you hear it, it's much more neutral, and it means someone who's really uh, energetic and zealous. Yeah, I mean, it, it you know maybe means a little bit reckless, but a little recklessness isn't necessarily a bad thing. Well, based on my life history, I, I agree. <laughs> All right, we got time for, I think, one more uh, interesting word from Robert Claiborne. Uh, how about, uh, Graham, look up bohemian. Ex- explain the meaning of that. Well, this one I found kind of interesting. So, so the gypsies were originally named gypsies because they supposedly came from Egypt, uh, but in French they were called Bohemians because they supposedly came from Bohemia. I don't know. I know that the largest population of gypsies or Roma in Europe is Romania, so I know that's the general area, yeah. and I guess it was assumed that's where they, they originally came from, but, but not so. Uh, in the 19th century, artists and similar loose types were called Bohemians because they lived gypsy-like lifestyles, and this was originally meant as an insult. And so, I think it's kind of interesting that the uh, that it's sort of uh, sort of like Yankee, it was kind of taken to taken by those who were labeled as such to be a, to be a good thing. It was a mark of you know living outside of society's bounds. Yeah, I think a bohemian, you know, the expression bohemian is, is, is neither good nor bad. It refers to someone who's very uh, artist types. Yeah. Well, the nice thing about this and closing on this is it gives a great tune for Mr. Merlin to go out with. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide? No escape from reality. Open your eyes. 
My understanding is that in the, the British, uh, there was a poll in Britain and they named Bohemian Rhapsody the greatest rock tune ever. I can get behind that. Well, it's certainly a good one. Graham Smith, thank you so much for uh, for chatting about a lot of this stuff and, and, and come again. Thanks. It's been fun. You have been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We will see you next week at the same time. If We, we may not be on terrestrial broadcast, but RadioParallax.com will, will be there forever, hopefully. So uh, find a way to listen, and, uh, and we'll talk about a pledge drive here uh, in the near future. KDVS could certainly use some extra funds. 